Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Today's podcast is sponsored by our friends at BetterHelp.com. It's almost like the Formula One gods are helping us make me make a tenuous link to our sponsors today. What with the FIA spending hours deciding on the final grid order after yesterday's qualifying. BetterHelp want to talk about times when you've been stuck on problems rather than finding solutions quickly. How do those solutions change with a different mindset? How can you be a problem solver and change your mind to change the solution? And they can connect you with a therapist to make your problem solving better. And stick around halfway through the podcast today. Got an exclusive discount code so you can get some money off at betterhelp.com as well. That's on the way. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Well, Max Verstappen produced another recovery charge to overcome a grid penalty and jump Charles Leclerc to deny Ferrari a home win at Monza in the Italian Grand Prix. Leclerc was the pole sitter, defying expectations by running a two-stop strategy. Could he make it work with a late push on fresh tyres? Unfortunately, didn't have the pace to reel in champion Verstappen, who rose from seventh. Leclerc had his herp, her hopes bolstered by a late safety car. Uh, that had the potential to throw a spanner in the works late on with a McLaren uh, stopping by the side of the track, but couldn't clear the car quick enough. 
and that's the order it's finished. They couldn't get the race restarted. It. Max Verstappen saying afterwards, we nailed it, an amazing start, and I quickly got in my rhythm. The car was flying in an enjoyable drive all around. Uh, Max Verstappen, your winner today, followed home by Charles Leclerc in second, and finishing off the podium, George Russell. Joining me on the podcast today to discuss our Grand Prix editor, Alex Kalanorkis, and our Autosport.com editor, Hayden Cobb. Um, Alex, uh, so you are uh, taking a break for a couple of weeks. Back on your travels, I want to find out. You're doing Singapore. Who's, who are we sending to that one? Yeah, I'll be out, off to Singapore in a couple of weeks' time. Really, really looking forward to that. That's always like, that was, I would say, the number one race I always wanted to go and do for the first time. I haven't been able to do it since I've moved into this role in the start of 2020, thanks to the infernal pandemic. <laughs> uh, yeah, very much, uh, very much looking forward to to heading to Singapore. It's um, yeah, it's been it's been a, a tiring week after my efforts covering the Dutch Grand Prix, but um, but yeah, uh, let's just say I was able to recover even more whilst watching the Italian Grand Prix because it was evident from very early on it wasn't going to be much of a spectacle worth paying much attention to. Well, I mean, other than uh, 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 the fact that you know keeping an eye on on how it's working out for the story of the season because. Yeah, it just it once Verstappen had escaped the danger of the first corner from starting in the pack, there's no reason to think that Leclerc was going to win that race. You know, it, ultimately Ferrari took what they what you know took the opportunity that came their way with the virtual safety car. If they hadn't taken it, Red Bull would have taken it. So there's nothing Ferrari could have done, I think, uh, to have won that race, unless, as I'm sure we'll get onto later. The, the the ending of the race was completely different, which would require a rule change for that to happen. Now, he is a couple of wins away from a second world championship, a 31st F1 victory, fifth uh, in a row, 11th of the season, two wins away uh, from uh, the record of the most successful Formula One season. Do you, Alex, do you want to stick a, you know, a flag in, in the sand yet and predict what race... He is going to wrap up the second world championship. I've been doing this to Tom Howard, our rally guy, with the the amazing young Callie Rovenpera, who's going to win WRC this year um, at his first attempt, which is amazing. And um, uh, and he's he's kind of been like, I'm not sure I want to <laughs> stick my neck out. What about you with Max? When's he going to win it? Come on. Uh, the most logical race for it to happen, assuming he wins in Singapore... And assuming Leclerc finishes second, if that happens, Verstappen can't be the champion. It's not the case of if he wins in Singapore, he's a champion, whatever. Uh, I was doing a little bit of maths earlier. That's how that's how bored I was come the end of the race. Um, and it, I haven't actually, I haven't done, I haven't done the full breakdown, but I know, I know that he can't, he can't win the title simply by winning, taking fastest lap, things like that. If Leclerc finishes second, it would require something going wrong for Leclerc. Seems quite likely, given how everything else has gone in 2022. Um, so yeah, so Singapore, unlikely, but could happen so probably the next race at japan and considering uh that's where the honda engines that are still in the back of the red bull obviously you know rebadged with uh, with the red bull powertrains but essentially still hondas pretty fitting considering that um you know w- that that was the key reason why red bull won the italian grand prix and why they've been so good all year it's because the honda engine is is the class of the field it's it's absolutely phenomenal and it meant that red bull could set up its car to challenge Ferrari in the corners at Monza, which, you know, there's very few of them, but the Ferrari was still the fastest car in the corners because the car just generates more downforce because of the way it's run or the way it's designed. So, yeah, 
it would be good for, for Honda for that to happen. Um, good for Verstappen. You know, he's, he's uh, obviously never won the Japanese Grand Prix, but I'm sure um, he'd be happy to do that and clinch the title on, on Honda's uh, own track. Yeah, now, uh, Hayden, tell us about why Verstappen, we've talked about Honda, just uh, mentioning them just there. Why was he starting down in seventh after qualifying second? Right, so strap him because it was a bit complicated. But it So the answer just... isn't just internal combustion change, <laughs> right? Exactly. Because that's that, the reason. That... But uh, we had to run an article last night, hours after qualifying to say, you know, here's the FIA's final decision. Can you fill us in on that, please? Yeah, so we'll start with the engine change, which was a sort of uh, advice or instruction from from Honda as a, almost a precaution. Uh, they had concerns over their uh, engine. So that's why Verstappen took that five, just a five-place penalty just for that part of the engine. Um, and obviously then he qualified second uh, on, on times uh, behind Pulse to the clerk, Obviously, with that engine penalty, it was a conversation of would he start seventh or would he start fourth, depending on who you asked and who did the maths. Because of the drivers directly behind him, uh, Sainz and Hamilton having uh, and Perez having other grid penalties themselves to serve. Um, but it actually goes back to effectively a rule that that Michael Massey largely did put in place, or or at least clarified in terms of it doesn't almost really matter about the other penalties around you for other drivers you will still serve your five place grid penalty if you're for example Max Verstappen in this scenario or or 10 or 15 for the other drivers uh, regardless of that so he was yeah he, he was right in on Saturday afternoon when he said oh yeah I'll be starting seventh and everyone was like are you, are you sure no no yeah definitely so so yeah that's why he he was seventh where he was um and yeah, he sort of made a good good breeze of it, really. Um, I was speaking to our colleague, Jake Boxall-Legg, before the race, uh, when we were doing the live text commentary, and I had a sneaky spin. Given the way that first laps at Monza traditionally go, you thought it could be a bit hairy for him if if things go don't go the way he wants to. He's going to have to help him keep, keep himself out of trouble, which isn't necessarily just happens sort of prerogative. He's, he's normally quite an aggressive driver, particularly in race starts and things like that. But... Yeah, to his credit, it, he didn't get in that scenario, but also he avoided anything like that. And yeah, he was what third by the end of sort of lap two or three, and then yeah, then it was the Max Verstappen show. So incredibly strong performance, and as Alex yeah mentioned there earlier, the, the the top speed and the general performance of the Red Bull in his hands is just unbeatable at the moment. Really, you can't yeah. Usually we sort of poke holes at Ferrari's strategy or liability or driving mistakes, whatever. But it didn't really feel like there were any of those today. I think no. y- you could say Leclerc give as good as he as he got, but that's just the way it went, really. Um, yeah. So a, a fair fight, but that was the the story of the season, really. Verstappen was just quicker on, in the, on the day. I mean, it, ominous in that I would say... Max had plenty in reserve. You don't know if he had the car turned down. You don't know uh, what lap times he could have done if he was given target lap times. But the fact that Leclerc went for the two-stop, moved on to some softer tyres, couldn't make inroads into him, and it was only really that safety car at the end because of the broken-down McLaren that could have thrown a spanner in the works, could have been some last-minute fizz. But it was if it, if the race had panned out, those last six laps without the safety car, Leclerc wasn't going to catch him. The tyres weren't going to go off. It seemed to me like Max just had it. And that is ominous for everyone else, Alex. And also, that's 
a champion's drive, right? We, you know, when you don't look at the, the leader too much, when they're just getting on with it. And these are through the eras of dominance, when people always say, well, they had the best car, et cetera, et cetera. Schumacher, Vettel, Alonso, Hamilton. Well, they've got the best car. At the beginning of this year, right, Max genuinely didn't have the best car on the grid and has made the most of it. Now, it's a great car now. Who was... I don't know whether you or Q did the numbers after qualifying and, and, and practice. Like, what was theoretically the quickest car this weekend? And, and what kind of job do you think Max did with it? Yeah, so looking at the, the numbers that Matt sent over from, from Monza, uh, and obviously reading his, his excellent Friday feature on uh, autosport.com plus on Friday night. Um, yeah, I mean, it, again, it pointed to the fact that, yeah, Ferrari, as has been the case at so many races, would qualify on pole. And then it would have to try and hold on ahead of the much faster Red Bull that was was much kinder on its tyres. That was that was that was pretty evident um, from the numbers um, on Friday. But it, it's it's interesting because I think Ferrari, the their real weakness early on in the year was that the car was too draggy. It wasn't as fast on the straights. How could it stop the Red Bull, which that package is 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 ultimately optimised to be brilliant down the straights? And Ferrari did an excellent job. I think they nailed everything in terms of where they sent their cars out in qualifying. Leclerc beat Verstappen to pole on merit. I think that was 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 excellently done. Problem was that Red Bull had set up Verstappen's car to be to to, to be um, to, to to a use its inherent strength the straight line speed but also as I said earlier get close to the Ferrari in the corners that means it had more downforce than you would actually expect like the look at the rear wing on the Red Bull car on, on Verstappen's car it's, it's massive and you think what, what, what's that all about and it's interesting um, chatting to Kevin Turner our chief editor he was like well this reminds me of the of the first turbo era in F1 where the cars that you know had the absolute you know m- you know nuclear powered engines in the back were just f- whack on massive amounts of downforce because they knew the power in the engine could overcome it so that's what Red Bull did and it meant that Verstappen could try and get on terms with Ferrari in the corners. But what, as you, you it's interesting you mentioned, Martin, it shows a champion's drive. It's kind of sort of, it's, it's weirdly conversed. If you've got more downforce, you can actually hurt your tyres more, right? And it, it's a weird way, basically. So like, um, the Ferraris are not going to be hurting their tyres with the skinny package on the straights and things like that, but they're going to be struggling for grip in the corner. So they're going to wear out their tyres, even with a low drag philosophy, but with a higher drag one, because you've got that potential to go quicker in the corner, such when the tyres are under most load, you have to be really careful that the downforce actually isn't going to eat into the tyres. We saw Mercedes losing that race in uh, the 70th anniversary Grand Prix in 2020 for exactly that reason. They were pushing too hard in the corners, the tyres couldn't take it. And Verstappen, didn't phase him. So he was able to use the punch of the Honda power. He was able to use the downforce to be quick in the corners, but crucially just trod the line perfectly to not eat his tyres. And yeah, nothing, nothing Ferrari could have done, could have, could have changed that. I think actually in, in a weird way, the VSC didn't help them because if Verstappen's got to overtake Leclerc on track, as he looked like he was edging to do, that that's when things really could if they've gone wheel to wheel we saw what happened at turn one between Hamilton and Leclerc last year you know it, it's interesting I'm thinking I've got a piece to write on Max Verstappen for an upcoming uh, cover feature uh, for Autosport magazine and it's thinking about what's different this year compared to 2021 or that, that's how I'm, pl- I'm planning on pitching it to Kev anyway in the morning um, just to compare the two championships effectively Max has already got the second one won and it's like well he's not actually been under the same sort of wheel to wheel pressure other than in, in the early rounds when he was pretty much exempt against Leclerc there was that weird bit of driving uh, against Mick Schumacher at Silverstone he hasn't been under the pressure where he's needed his wheel to wheel a wheel to wheel prowess and, and skills to, to win a race because Ferrari have just 
dropped the ball comprehensively so many times. And in fact, it's been, you know, you look back to Austria, it was Leclerc doing the overtaking, right? So that's the way that potentially Ferrari could have won that race. You know, make them go wheel to wheel, force Verstappen into a mistake, hope that Leclerc can hold on. Didn't come to that. And in the end, even then, the faster car should still win over the course of a race if, if it all ran to the checkered flag. Uh, so yeah, Ferrari did excellently, but they were just never going to win that race, I think. That's interesting, isn't it? Because Kev also says that one of the things that he thinks Verstappen is building as he becomes a championship, you know, double, multiple championship winner is, is racecraft and a lack of desperation. Am I hearing you right that you think that that might still be in his driving if forced or has getting that monkey off his back? If if you, it's hard, isn't it? It's hypothetical. But if he had gone wheel to wheel, do you think that he's more of a relaxed kind of big picture player now that he's got the world championship? I think I think it's both things are true at the same time. Simply okay. because we haven't had enough data to prove one way or the other. If that makes sense, yeah, I think if you look enough. back, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you look back to the early rounds, he 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 did seem to be racing Leclerc with a, a more healthy amount of respect and, and and keeping things clean than he did against Hamilton in the latter races of 2021. Don't don't forget also he had all, all those all those penalty points that he earned quite rightly at the end of 21, 2021 for his driving there hanging over him. So I'm sure that was that was probably a consideration. Um, these cars you can race them differently. You don't. I think it's interesting. You know, I asked Max a few questions at Zandvoort about this year compared to last year, and his suggestion is you know they are easier to race. They're not a hell of a lot easier to race these cars, but they are easier. So he, he's not going to have to make the this, this, this certain amount of desperation and just hoping it all works out that you would see. Like, look at some of Daniel Ricciardo's famous moves across his Formula One career. A lot of them are on the line of, are you slightly out of control? Are you relying on the other driver not hitting you? Now, it comes off, fair enough, well played. He nails it, right? But I don't think you need to do that quite so much with these new cars because you can run closer you don't hurt your tyres it's not quite as, as as do or die so I think there's an element of yeah Verstappen has driven differently this year but equally he hasn't been put under the same amount of pressure the pressure to win your first world title going up against Lewis Hamilton the best driver of all time to many people who is famously very very clean in wheel to wheel fights unless you know your Fernando Alonso going around the outside of Lacom uh, the Belgian Grand Prix <laughs> a few weeks ago things like that um, yeah so yeah, he hasn't he hasn't been tested that way. And when there was a weird bit, like they got close at the start in Silverstone, Leclerc and Verstappen, and Verstappen gave pretty much no quarter, but was well within the rules. And then yeah, the the driving at the end of that race when he was basically on a on a on a damage limitation drive against Mick Schumacher was like oh yeah, the the ruthless questionable driving Verstappen is still in there. So yeah, my answer to the question as I said earlier is it's it's both things are true at the same time you probably think you lean towards the driver grows gets that more experience that yeah it is that Verstappen is becoming a more rounded more rounded uh, racing driver Absolutely. I'll finish off some of the stats. DNS today for Daniel Ricciardo, who I mentioned, which caused that full safety car at the end, the last six laps. Lance Stroll, Alonso and Vettel. Fastest lap today, Sergio Perez set on lap 46. Now, the pole sitter, Charles Leclerc, finishing second today. No point looking at the gap times because we finished under the safety car. And uh, second place, George Russell, who inherited second place on the grid, coming home third. Uh, fourth today, Carlos Sainz working his way back, back up the 
group. Uh, Lewis Hamilton finishing fifth, then Sergio Perez, followed by Norris, Gasly, Nick De Vries. We'll come on to him, actually, after we talk about the top three, because that's the other big story today. And uh, Joe Guan Yu, uh, final points in tenth. So it's good, Aiden, to see uh, Max Verstappen on the Monza podium and George Russell for the first time as well. The Boo Boys were back. I was talking about booing uh, to one of my American friends recently, and he didn't get it. He was like, but like that's just a part of sport. You know, and he thinking of American sport. I don't know he was thinking of uh, baseball or something. He's like, what's the big deal? Booing's fine. It's friendly. It's... Whereas I think the reaction over this year, then there's been, uh, you know, that kind of thing going on. Uh, maybe the media made a big deal of it. Maybe it's we're British. I don't know. Uh, it's fair enough on their home soil for whatever reason they might have felt a bit cheated because of that safety car finish uh but yeah the boo boys were back was did, was max bothered by that at all you heard from him afterwards oh yeah not not at all shrugged it off in, in <laughs> typical max Verstappen style and I, and I think in fairness to the situation it could have been it basically was whoever won the race it wasn't because it was max Verstappen. obviously the context being the championship leader fighting the ferraris is, is there but it, I, we would interpret the uh, Tafosi boos were more about the situation of how the race ended than basically denying their hero on Ferrari and a clerk the chance to attack for the win because it was set up like you say with behind the safety car a few laps to go. You thought there's a there's a late dash for the flag on here, but it, but that obviously never never materialised. So I think the boos were more in the the state of how the race ended, denying everyone a bit of a, a late drama, which was as you said, we said earlier, it was, was basically never on the cars because Verstappen was so comfortable up the road. Um, but then it, yeah, it, it, it petered out a little bit and there are reasons behind that. It's interesting you say that Verstappen obviously unfazed by the booze. I mean, it, watching him at Zanvor, I stood by his pole position uh, grid spot ahead of his home race. Obviously, you've got thousands and thousands of orange clad Maniacs. I mean that in a, in a, in a friendly way because of the amount of techno <laughs> music they were they were bouncing along to a weekend, right? And the the Supermax song, which is firmly wedged into my uh, my nervous system, and maybe for some time actually. So damn catchy. Never coming out. No, but anyway, uh, it's just guess, guess you pumped in the more anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Verstappen didn't care about that. He got out of his car. He didn't even look at them. Not let alone wave to his home fans. He just got out of his car. Spoke to his engineer, off the grid, comfort break, come back on, do the national anthem, get in the car. He doesn't care. He, that will, The booze will not phase him. The guy is literally like, it sounds like, it's, this sounds like a criticism, but it isn't. It, he just, he's just a racing driver. All he wants to do is put his helmet on, get in a Formula One car and drive it fast. He doesn't care about anything else. And none of it bothers him good or bad so um, so yeah I th- I th- you're right about that also just just with the boom master, I think your point about is it because we're British that we think it's uh, <laughs> we think it's awful I, th- I think, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's a good point to that I think you know it is it, it, the booing your opposition it goes against that sort of what you you know the, the sort of sense of fair play and sportsmanship and oh even if you've been uh, humiliated you need to say well done to your opponent things like that, that that's what that goes against but also it's you know the, the thing that makes it more uncomfortable is that Nicholas Latifi got death threats after crashing in Abu Dhabi. These things like that, utterly disgraceful behaviour. Um, you know, things like flares being chucked onto the track in Zanvor. You know, there were flares in the grandstand again today. There's reports of people, you know, harassing other fans. You know, it's it's that whole atmosphere is what's really wrong. I think a bit of booing towards the FIA and getting it's getting uh, you know the the call at the end of the race in the way it did. Fair enough. And, and and American sports fans are absolutely right. It does add to the spectacle. But it's when it mixes in with that horrible, nefarious other elements, that's when, when you don't like to see booing. But like I said, Verstappen's not going to care. 
<laughs> Look, let's talk about that, because sometimes when it's been a packed race, we take our listeners through the race, you know, this happened, then that, then that, then that. Well, dear listener, that's not one of those races today. Yes, there was a VSC after 10 laps with Vettel, and that's what split the strategies. That's when Ferrari did make a bold call. And you, maybe you do have to say, well, look, Ferrari did go for it. Uh, you could also say they lent on their drivers to make the decision too much. But either way, they were like, right, let's split it. Leclerc, Leclerc I mean, we'll go on to a two-stop. Uh, and that gives us some speed on fresh tyres. Uh, they made a bold call. And ultimately, you know, it didn't work. And they didn't have the speed to catch Verstappen. But either way, that was a notable moment at the beginning, yes, we saw some pretty decent. We saw some DRS trains, but see some did saw some decent overtaking in the race. We'll maybe get on to mention a few of those standout performances. But really, it wasn't until six laps to go, six seven laps to go, when Daniel Ricciardo pulled off between the two Lesmos, and that has been a source of plenty of complaints today, with some criticism on why a safety car trundled round for five six laps, why it wasn't a red flag instantly. The FIA coming out to justify their decision within half an hour of the end of the race. Today's podcast is sponsored by our friends at betterhelp.com and they want to talk about times when you've been stuck focusing on problems rather than finding solutions. Some people say that the FIA should perhaps find better solutions to some of these self-made problems. Tenuous link to the sponsor? No, I don't think so. How can you change your situation with a different mindset? And it can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode, especially when faced with really big challenges in life. You've heard of fight or flight. Sometimes your heart beats a bit faster. Your brain goes a bit fuzzy. When you learn, though, how to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling. And a therapist, in other words, someone you can talk to to become a better problem solver, to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small they are, can make things different. So maybe, maybe I need to connect the FIA with betterhelp.com and they can learn how to train their brain to come to better solutions quicker. Hey, some fans who weren't happy with how the uh, the race ended today behind the safety car might think that is a very, very good thing indeed. And because you're listening to the Autosport podcast and you've put up with my tenuous links so, so far, you get 10% off your first month with betterhelp.com. If you are thinking of giving therapy a try, it's a great option. Uh, it's convenient, it's accessible, it's really affordable as well, by the way. It's entirely online if you um, want to get matched with a therapist. You do a really brief survey and then, like, what's your flavour? Is it on the phone? Is it video call? Is it messaging? You take the lead with whatever you feel comfortable with. And because you're listening to the show and you can be a better problem solver by contacting betterhelp.com with 10% off your first month, just do betterhelp, H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash autosport. That's betterhelp.com slash autosport. Enjoy the discount and enjoy going to them. So back to where we were then. We now know afterwards that the marshals couldn't move the car and full safety car, which meant the race finished under safety car conditions. Now, it's never good. It's never good when on a Saturday we have to say the FIA justify the reason for taking hours to publish the grid. And then on a Sunday we have an article on autosport.com which says you know, the FIA have to justify why it happened because... As far as I'm concerned, and maybe, and I've seen a differing opinion on from the drivers and the team, so I could be a massive outlier here. I don't see anything wrong with it. It's a Grand Prix. For me, it's a Grand Prix weekend. It's why I love the Grand Prix, because it's about a weekend of action and you're following it, right? And so this is just the last 
six laps. Now, I haven't paid just hundreds of euros to stand in grandstand and see see the finish. It's not 2020. It's a test match, right? So this is, it's just the last couple of laps of the race, and they had to follow procedure. There's a car on the track at a very high-speed circuit, and I'm not desperate to see a sprint. I understand the alternative views out there. Some say, well, look, they've got it in their tool bag that with six laps to go, they can throw a red flag, start from the grid again. Everyone's got fresh tyres, and then you get that sprint. I don't know. It just starts to get a little bit NASCAR for me, but tell me I'm wrong. Hayden, I'll come to you first. Feel free to tell me I'm wrong. What's your take on the FIA's decision not to throw the red, to tootle around behind the safety car and finish in ultimately a bit of a damp squib. I have no problem. Uh, I wish with that. I could tell you you were wrong, but you are <laughs> right because yeah, it was okay. the FIA following following their rules and and we learned from Abu Dhabi last year if you don't follow uh, the rules and uh, that are in the regulations, bigger problems appear. Um, and yes, it, it was granted it was unfortunate and the speed of the reaction of the FIA race direction and that was was put under scrutiny and I think that is a fair question because so to recap it as you as you do very quickly, lap forty seven is when Ricardo stopped. Lap forty eight is when the safety car was was called out because then they judged they, they couldn't move the car with safely without having people on track. And then obviously they found out they needed a crane on track. Um they got it off there. Uh, lap fifty one was basically when it came off then uh the safety car correctly picked up the leader because then that was the other issue it when the safety car came out it picked up uh russell not max Verstappen in a lead which again is a, is a questionable thing not sure that how that happened that's that's something that they need to improve on uh and then on lap 51 as this was all going on just was the end of lap 51 the lapped cars of which there were many because we're at the end of the race and Verstappen in particular is incredibly fast so these things can happen like that they were allowed to unlap themselves Unfortunately, the scenario of that is because they're coming round the track to, to join the pack again, they literally just ran out of laps. They were about to start the last lap and therefore the safety car cannot disappear into thin air. It, it can't just <laughs> arm off now at, at Lesmo and give them half a lap of racing. That's not, unfortunately, how it works. It, the, and it, it pulled in at the right moment uh, <laughs> to, give, I, to give that racing lap. But unfortunately, it just wasn't there where obviously in Abu Dhabi we learnt the wrong way to do it. So... Uh, the procedure was followed. The rule, no rules were broken. It was uh, it was just unfortunate with the, the situation. If if the race was one lap longer, then you have one one racing lap. Um, now the question that you sent about whether the, 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 there was an argument of, of throwing the red flag that was mentioned a lot. It's basically as soon as Ricardo they realised they couldn't stop or uh, couldn't retrieve Ricardo's car safely, threw the red flag, restarted with yeah, say four or five laps to go. Which is one argument that's very, basically, I would say NASCAR or IndyCar sort of style of, of racing, which is within their rules. I'm not against that. I'm not sort of criticising that. But, but that again, that isn't necessarily in, in Formula 1's rules. So you are sort of interpreting them very differently there. There wasn't like a, a barrier to repair that needed more service trucks and people on the track and would take longer, which we saw basically in, in the support races uh, over the weekend. Yeah, I think it was in F3. Um, the, yeah, the, the barrier was damaged. They had to red flag it, and then they restart the race once that's done. That's very common, but that wasn't the situation. Nothing was that. It was just trying to get a car off the track. In yeah, obviously you can't extend the race because fuel, tires, etc., would then come to a waste, and people would end up being disqualified. And 
Yeah, it's, it's, it is a difficult one, but rules are rules. And I think you're right, like you said, Martin, it's, it's, it is... The analogy of the, the test match is a, is a very good one. And there may be a lot of listeners that aren't necessarily into their cricket, but the beauty of test cricket is it can be five days of, of incredible action, uh, intense competition going one way or the other, but then it can be a draw. And the beauty is in the draw. Is you've yep. gone toe-toe and that's it. In the same way, if a Grand Prix, it's obviously a long race like that, sometimes these, these will happen. Like, oh, it's that's just the rules. It, you'd rather the rules are followed in the proper way than get what you had in Abu Dhabi last year, basically. Yeah. And, right. And that is, you know... Okay, no, sorry, Martin, I'm coming in now. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. For once, we're not going to just get consensus. There is going to be uh, a nice, healthy disagreement, with respect, of course. Good, um, good. But yeah, you are wrong, Martin. Uh, Hayden, unfortunately, your, <laughs> your analogy with the Test match is uh, very much undermined by what just happened at the Oval, where England, who are on course to have an absolutely thumping victory, for some reason, were taken off a bad light, even though they turned the floodlights on and, and the batsman could clearly see the ball as if it was a beach ball that they were smacking away. But anyway... Because in Formula One, of course, there are no draws. There is always a winner. You can get a dead heat, very unlikely in the modern era, but there is pretty much always a winner, right? So the red flag rule is the way to go. Now, before I get into that, you are right. I'm going to... Bear with me, I'll come back to it. You are right and the FIA was right in what it did today. It followed the rules. However, unfortunately, that is fatally undermined by what happened in Abu Dhabi last year. That that was the case of the rules not being followed. We know this. The FIA seemed to bizarrely clear itself and Michael Massey and saying he was acting in good faith. Well, basically, that's because, as Christian Horner and Mattia Bonotto said, that race should have been restarted because we all agreed in such circumstances we would try and get a race restarted for the spectacle. OK, so they are prioritising the spectacle. They are pushing for that. Massey that's what he understood his brief to be. That's what he tried to do in Abu Dhabi last year. He got it totally wrong because he didn't. the rules weren't followed as, as they should have been, or at least they were just not. There was too much of a mess in allowing the race director that much discretion in terms of the, the, the ramifications, right? So the problem the FIA's got is its rules are still not clear enough. So yes, it followed what was going on today. The car was stuck in gear. The, the safety car mess happened. These things do happen. But there's no explanation for the fans. You've got commentators having to fill the time, making the guesses to the best of their ability. And there's a few suggestions here that I think would really, really improve that situation before we even get to what I think is the even better solution, which is throw the red flag, right? First of all, Formula One and the FIA should hire someone like an outside person, whether it's someone who worked in race control before, hello, Michael Massey, because unfortunately, who, who was the previous Formula One uh, race director? It was Charlie Whiting, sadly no longer with us, did the job for many, many years. So you haven't got like, so basically what I'm thinking about is the NFL is back this weekend. And if you go and watch one of those games that are live on whatever channel they're on uh, in the UK or, or elsewhere, wherever you might get your NFL, right? If, you're, if they're picking up the local American broadcasts, when there's a we really weird decision or a decision that needs explaining in a game that has a lot of con complex rules, hello, Formula One, they have an ex-referee who explains these decisions. And they're like, right, this is why, the ref why, the, why they're doing that. This is what's happening. I think that would be absolutely beneficial to Formula One. Now, whether it's Sky or Channel 4 in the UK or the local broadcaster hires that person themselves, or it's just a person who the FIA puts forward immediately to say, this is what's happening. This is the explanation. This is what's going on. I think Formula One would really, really benefit from that because you're getting another wave of like toxicity, like we like we referred to earlier. People just being like, "Oh, this is this is fixed. This is disgraceful." It's because it's a complex sport. 
that often things go wrong and also it's just not being explained very well like the FIA put out a statement saying yep we followed all our all our rules to the letter oh congratulations right that's the base that's the bare minimum of what we expect of the governing body right why did it take until like half an hour after the race for that to be communicated it was so obvious what was going on that they could have done that really really quickly right so that so that that's my suggestion for making things clearer so the other thing to return back right the way to discuss the, to the beginning of my very meandering point is that yes i am a firm believer in the red flag uh, at the end of the race scenario because that's what should have happened in abu dhabi if something needed to be done that's what massey should have done it would have meant they could all change tyres, all end up on the same tyres. That's what would have happened here. And I honestly think in both scenarios, Max Verstappen still wins the 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. He wins the 2021 world title and he wins this race as well because of what I talked about earlier, because of just how feisty he is, even though he's not shown it that much this year in wheel-to-wheel uh, uh, um, combat. And the Ferrari is... They have no idea what kind of starts they're going to get. They've got a problem with the car. They thought they'd fixed it with a new, or they'd made efforts to fix it with a new clutch in France, and it's still not as good. Like Leclerc, according to the graphic that flashed up at the start of the race, got made a better reaction to George Russell off the line. Well, the Mercedes was nearly halfway alongside him because the Ferrari was, was even though its driver reacted quicker, wasn't as good. So I still think Verstappen wins that race. I understand it's gimmicky, it's NASCAR-y, it's things like that. I get, I get the argument, but I think, honestly, I think Formula One has changed. I get that, yeah, sometimes sporting contests don't have the ultimate climax, right? And that the ultimate climax in this race without a, 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 a late safety car was that Verstappen was going to win by 15 seconds or whatever, right? But it's, it's better. It would have been better. And it would have mm. given it would have given everyone a fair opportunity. You wouldn't have these arguments. So even if it's like, right, we're in a 10 lap, 10 laps towards the end of the race. If an incident happens, we're just going to throw a red flag, make it fairer. Yeah, it's harsh on like drivers like Verstappen who've built a big lead. It would have been really harsh on Lewis Hamilton who built a massive lead. Well, not a massive lead, but you know, he, a race winning lead at the end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. But what actually happened on him was even harsher. So there's got to be a better way of doing it. There's got to be a better way of communicating it. And I think that's just a simple and fair way, fair way of having it. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Yeah, people keep saying, oh, don't drag up the past, don't dredge it up again. But Lewis Hamilton did today, making a comment about, oh, it's nice to see the rules followed as they have been every single time in Formula One, apart from once in the past. And like, if he's still bringing it up, we can still bring it up. Not to, uh, you know, to you know, make snide comments about what happened, but simply to learn to learn from the past as well. So look, we got it wrong. Formula One got it wrong in that situation. It deserved to have a winner that doesn't have Max Verstappen's first world championship forever. In some people's minds, a question mark hanging over his head. And it shouldn't because on the balance of driving last season, Lewis or Max could or should have won that championship. They've had an amazing season last year. And this year, Max absolutely dominated. No question mark. Uh, Hayden, what do you what do you reckon? This is a bit of speculation on my part, but do you think the FIA were a bit scared of creating those scenarios, given what happened in Abu Dhabi? They're like, right, we've got to follow the rules to the letter this time, because if we basically do anything slightly different to what everyone would expect or what the rules would say, 
they get accused of doing an Abu Dhabi, <laughs> Dhabi again. But, but, a red, but a red flag with five or six laps to go doesn't is not contentious, is it? Because you've got enough time left it's not, to let some racing happen. It's not contentious True, if the rule was changed, right? If, they, if they'd done that today, that would have been contentious because it wouldn't have been following the rules. I actually don't have a problem with what the FIA did today other than the total lack of clear communication, right? This should have been looked at and implemented in the, what, three, four months between Abu Dhabi and the start of the season. That is a long time, right? They did their investigation. They essentially cleared their man and then sacked him. Strange, strange goings on at the FA, right? They created this VAR system that's still still not been fully explained of how, how it works. But we don't know, how we it, don't how know it assists, what, right? like, what's happening with it, right? Yeah. So, 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 but that was the time to do this, right? They've got this meeting with the FA president where he's talking to the teams, talking to the sporting managers at the end of the season change the rule because you can't change the rules midway through it's controversial they did that already with the technical regs remember when that was a big furore because obviously hasn't even had that much of an impact right it, <laughs> at least at least on the surface right that the time to change the rules was immediately after Abu Dhabi and they changed bits but not enough to make sure something like that couldn't happen again so yeah I think you're right Hayden they they were just like right we're going to follow the proper procedures they went slightly wrong with the safety car picking up the wrong driver it was unfortunate the mclaren was stuck in gear it went as it should have done but because of what happened in abu dhabi they needed to have already implemented a new fix and now it's come up again change it at the end of the season just change the rule like do you remember this formula one never used to have standing restarts never used to have that look at how good the 2020 italian grand prix was because it had one had two at Mugello a few weeks later we can formula one can change and it should change qualifying formats have changed over the years and no one's saying oh you're not doing it as the same as 1952 so it absolutely needs to evolve but do you think do you think it's a hard and fast rule if a full safety car is warranted within say 10 percent of the race remaining or 10 laps it's an automatic red flag so just not up for debate if if, if a car can't be recovered that's a red flag that's probably where your grey areas are going to come in and, and they'd need to nail it down. What I yeah, I would say is if that rule's going to come in, you yeah, you, you say it's with 10% of the race to go and, and basically in the event of it looks highly unlikely that the race will be able to start or restart in the normal way, i.e. after a safety car. Like Basically, if you know you're going to run out of laps fairly early on, you have the right to, to red flag it and then restart. Um, with your yeah six seven laps let's say to go or however many there would be, but like you say it has to be in a, a, pro, a approved proper rule change, and ideally at the end of a season for the start of the next season. So doing it mid season would be a bit silly, a bit stupid. So yeah, it's there. It's, it's happened. It's it's upset a lot of people. It's got us talking a lot. Like, I think this is probably the bulk of <laughs> of the podcast. Maybe that's what sort of the whole whole reason is. But I I, I totally get the point with the sort of the red flag idea um and again i can see why other championships have the sort of overtime rule of yeah it's it's not a satisfactory end for the for the viewer and it's only really a satisfactory end for the the person that wins if it finishes behind the safety car or under yellow flags or whatever so the argument is there the examples are elsewhere to be seen f1 and fia can learn for what what they want to do just just very quickly the the as i said earlier the satisfaction, no matter how the race ends, is only good for the winner, unless you're Nick DeVries today, right? As we're going to come on to. <laughs> that, that's, my, that's my point, right? However the race 
circumstances are, the winner is going to be happy. So just make it so that you can have an actual race to the end. That's I, I get it. There would be grey areas. You'd have to define, okay, we've entered that period of now we're going to, we, this is where we might throw the red flag or this is when red flags will be thrown if there's an incident. Because the, unfortunately, they wanted to restart this race. Horner and Bonotto were like, yeah, we expected that to happen. There was enough time. It was just the circumstances were off. So just find a way. And there's some incredibly clever people in Formula One. Find a way to make it happen. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, the next massive story today. And that is a point um, and, and more than just scraping into 10th for Nick De Vries. If you can tell us really quickly, Hayden, why was he in the car today for Alex Albon? A Saturday morning, you will wake up. You're probably having your your Cheerios or your Shreddies, but poor old Alex Albon is struggling with a lot of pain and it turns out he's uh, suffering with an appendicitis, uh, which needs surgery. I've never been in that situation, I don't know if either of you have, but it did sound rather uncomfortable and yeah, best wishes to to Albon. Uh, Hopefully he can enjoy, hopefully he enjoyed watching the race at least, but therefore uh, Williams needed a reserve driver, one of their uh, reserve drivers with sort of the, the, the deals they've got with a few other teams is Nick DeVries. It was by almost a, just a coincidence that he was doing uh, free practice one for Aston Martin as a uh, free practice driver <laughs> uh, at Monza. So he got to drive two two cars in one uh, race weekend. Um, but yeah, he, he got the call whilst having a, a coffee uh, on Saturday morning, um, zipped down to Mercedes, who then said, oh, by the way, it's, it's Williams, they need you. I, I, I'd love to have asked him, like, did, did you think Mercedes were going to give you a call up? But that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, got down to Williams, got into the, the pre-FP3 briefing meeting. And before he knew it, he was he was in a Grand Prix weekend. He was making his F1 debut. Uh, and to his full credit, did an outstanding job. Granted... Amazing job. Yes. Amazing job. Granted, things did play into his favour. I qualified strongly, out-qualified Nicholas Asifi. But with the grid penalties, pushed him up to starting in the top 10. Uh, which, let's be honest, hasn't happened too often for the for Williams full <laughs> stop in recent history. But that's sort of where the, the things go beyond in terms of what goes into favour. Stop, because he put that car in ninth place once Ricardo dropped out late on, completely on merit. He was, yeah, run an aggressive strategy, held his nerve, kept kept Joe behind him for pretty much the whole race and and was, was quick, was in a car that isn't necessarily that, that rapid overall. It, it certainly was... I guess in its slippery nature suited to Monza and I think probably Albon was a bit more disappointed because that could have easily been and probably would have been him in, in that situation but full credit to De Vries he, yeah, he got in that car with a bit of pra- well, very minimal practice qualified strongly considering and, and raced really well and I think if you ever wanted uh, an addition to go to go so well, he absolutely smashed it. So get that get that man a drive next year. There are still seats on the 2023 grid in Formula One. So the final qualifying grid ended up with him starting eighth when it all shook out ahead of Joe and Nicholas Latifi. But when they finished the race today, it was Nick De Vries in ninth, followed by Joe Guan Yu and teammate Latifi down in fifteenth. And yes, it took retirements from Ricardo Stroll. Alonso, Fettel, you could say, had a chance to interfere with that. But I don't think they would because he was never in that position. He was always driving well, 
defending well, at times attacking Gasly well, getting that gap down, getting the DRS gap. And Alex, you know, it's a Formula E champion here. You know, you follow drivers across all forms of motorsport. How impressed with you, uh, with him, are you today? Yeah, my relationship with Nick DeFries goes back to 2017, which was his first year in, uh, in, in well, Formula 2. I nearly said GP2 because it, it was at the time it was that irritating split when they turned, mm. changed GP2's yeah. name into Formula 2, but GP3 remained GP3 before it became Formula 3. But anyway, um, yeah, that was his first season uh, doing that. Uh, then I did, uh, yeah, when he, when he, when he came in um, with the Mercedes team, when it joined officially because obviously the, the the team was in the category as HWA for a year at the start of that Gen 2 era in Formula E uh, De Vries and Van Dorn were Mercedes first drivers so spent a bit of time with them working on a project that became um, the cover feature for Autosport magazine you know the, the Cam Mercedes become the super team in Formula E and, and ultimately it was like well it's got all the ingredients to let's see what happens and shockingly it did both De Vries and Van Dorn ending up as world champions um He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's an interesting character, De Vries. He's, um, he's, because remember, he's a McLaren. You know, there was, I think there was some speculation on TV about, you know, he's driven for all the Mercedes-powered cars in Formula 1 this year. Why isn't he doing some FP1 outings for McLaren? Well, that's because he was a McLaren junior and they, they jettisoned him. So he's never going to be driving in a McLaren in an <laughs> FP1 session. Um, but essentially, Nick De Vries, I think, is, is like a, he's a, he's a racing driver grown in a McLaren lab because he's, mm. he's the perfect McLaren driver. He's incredibly well-spoken. He's incredibly safe as a sort of as a as a PR person, but he's also incredibly intelligent. Like, I think you can hear that when he talks over the radio. He he's got so much capacity to just come across incredibly politely, even though he's he's you know battling in the wheel of a, of a mad mm. Formula Formula E race, which is inevitably happening. Um, great preparation for Formula One, Formula E, where you know every session the result you know, 10 drivers' results will change. Well, that's what happened in qualifying yesterday. So he must have felt right at home, Nick DeVries. So yeah, <laughs> knew him back in 2017. But the, but the problem with DeVries was that he just, he's obviously he's an amazing karting champion. Like he's one of those drivers that I think, uh, you know, they've, 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 other drivers have talked about how much they looked up to him for how good good he was, you know, as, as a karter. When he got into cars, it just didn't, wasn't quite as good. There's even some speculation because he's quite a little guy. Maybe being small helped him in karting. Then when it came to driving cars, actually that was more of a hindrance and it took him a little bit of time to, to get up to that level. But he unfortunately just, it just never quite happened in the junior categories. He became Formula 2 champion, but he didn't do it in the first year. It took him three years to get there to become champion in 2019. You see the same thing's going to happen with Felipe Drugovic. You know, it's it's kind of underwhelming when a driver comes into Formula 2 and takes three years because it's, it's a category that since they introduced Pirelli tyres, that experience is so critical. That's why it's so impressive when Leclerc did what he did in 2017, when Russell did it. In twenty in twenty eighteen, where Piastri did it last year to come in as a rookie and to win that championship. That's why they end up on that sort of superstar trajectory. And De Vries, unfortunately, just didn't. But he showed that there is still life on an alternate trajectory. He went to Formula E. He impressed everybody there. He delivered when Mercedes produced its amazing package to win his Formula E title. Unfortunate this year, he got held up in a, in a lot of incidents. Van Dorn was the model of consistency, things like that. But he's also got, you know, he's obviously got favour with Toto Wolff. As I said, I think that the way he he carries himself, he handles himself, I think that would have played well with, with Mercedes. That was the, one of the key reasons why they signed him. And I think, you know, ultimately that could lead to him getting a job in, in, in Formula 1, like a permanent job, because having that Mercedes, obviously it's not financial or official backing, but just going like, hey, I've impressed Toto Wolff. That's really, really, really good. And if there's a seat open at Williams, like it looks like there will be, he's he's got to be the number one candidate because it was a terrific job today. And, and ultimately, you know, 
he he that car was always going to be a rocket ship because of what we saw of, of Albon at Spa. Williams saying, we, we, "Yeah, we can take off even more drag. We can be even quicker on the straights," and they did that. But he was so cool. He like there was a moment where Verstappen came up to to lap him, and he was only just ahead of Joe, and it looked like Joe was going to pounce. De Vries handled the blue frag situation perfectly. He held Verstappen up for a little bit, got out of the way, then tagged on the back of him. Joe never got another look in. He was even then after that on the road up against Gasly. So it showed you how, you know, how 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 aware he was of the situation, I think, that he was able to do that. Did get a bit lucky, I think, if you read the Stewart's document about his erratic driving under the safety car. But then I think, ultimately, I think common sense prevailed. Basically, he was having uh, a brake problem. He thought he was going to be um, uh, under his delta time. So he was worried about having to maintain over that. So it sounds like he just stamped the brakes. I'm, I'll be honest, sorry, I hit the gas. I haven't mm. actually seen the seen the replay, but from reading the stewards document, they've basically gone, yep, you were dealing with a lot. You're a last minute replacement. We're just going to reprimand you. And I think, honestly, I think that's the best outcome for everybody because it's ninth place. Is it going to change the driver's lives behind him I don't think it is so no. a happy story for Formula 1 a happy story for him and fingers crossed it does help him get a Formula 1 berth because if you're going to compare Albon's got a contract there already at Williams if it's going to be De Vries versus Latifi now now Williams doesn't need all that pay driver money <laughs> we know who they should go for right absolutely yeah, absolutely but, I mean, uh, I, just a, a brilliant a brilliant result Hayden last word on Nick De Vries I today. just totally agree you nailed it there in terms of the they have the data now like all this speculation of, oh, is he, is he up to it? Is he up to it? We've literally got a Grand Prix worth of data right next to Latifi, thoroughly out, out, outperformed him. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> Monday morning, if, if Williams aren't throwing a contract at Nick DeVries, I mean, I'll go down there and do it for him, to be honest. But... <laughs> at, the very, at the very least, they should be giving him some sort of ice bath or something to help his shoulders. <laughs> yeah. He looked oh, like he couldn't even get yeah, out of the car, yeah. poor Blake. <laughs> he did need two of his mechanics to lift him out of the car at the end. He'll be broken <laughs> right now. Um, and, and he's an elite athlete. And and that's the thing as well sometimes. When I was watching that, and I, I, I didn't see it live, but I saw... Um, our colleague Jess actually took the video clip and put it on on her Twitter, and um, I thought that's really interesting because so much of Formula One now is the tracks are so big, the cars look slow, they don't sound fast, they're not screaming at eighteen thousand plus revs, the drivers are all super fit, and and yet times this year when you see Lewis Hamilton just hesitating to get out of you know a, a, a car, or or you see Nick De Vries needing two guys to lift him up and those little things are reminders that actually and I know that it might sound alien to you Alex because you're lucky enough to go to so many races and stand on you know corner apexes and watch these cars going ridiculously fast if you don't get to go to a track TV does make them look both a little bit slow and a little bit easy to drive but amazing to see him do that and yeah a reminder that this is not easy like what they're doing is not easy now look um there's i'm sure that there's other stuff we can say talk about amazing recovery drives today for uh, carlos Sainz, who finished fourth that is a good recovery drive from um where he started i'm trying to remind myself of uh, where he eventually started in 18th which was a place ahead of lewis hamilton in 19th and indeed lewis hamilton came in fifth behind carlos Sainz. so two brilliant recovery drives no uh, watching game of thrones on the iPad for Lewis today, which is what he said before the race, if he was going to be stuck in a boring DRS train. Um, Sergio Perez had a moment earlier on where his brakes were on fire. Uh, thought that could be a race-ending moment, actually, but uh, got that under control coming home sixth in the end. Again, you could say that was a good 
uh, recovery drive for him. You could say that or not. Uh, a terrible, terrible bog down start. Paul Lando. Uh, well, he's a, you know, we think his own fault. I've not seen any kind of uh, mechanical reasons why. Coming home in the end, um, seventh. A little bit heartbreaking for uh, Daniel Ricciardo uh, as a as a DNF on lap forty five. Pierre Gasly. Uh, kind of just falling away a little bit, starting fifth, uh, finishing eighth. We've mentioned Nick DeVries, Joe Granue. Good points for him, actually. Good race. Uh, you could say, well, you know, couldn't overtake a guy who had about 24 hours notice to get in the car. So is that good or not? Interesting for the Alpines, of course, because Fernando Alonso was a DNF and Ocon came home 11th. I think that's only the second time this year that Alpine has failed to score points in the big midfield battle with McLaren might need to check that. Uh, final rundown of where we are in terms of the drivers' championship: Max Verstappen, three hundred and thirty-five points; Leclerc, two one nine; Sergio Perez, two ten; and George Russell ahead now of Carlos Sainz in the drivers' championship, two hundred three, place one eight seven, which is just kind of crazy to think about. Um, and in the constructors' championship, Red Bull on five four five ahead of Ferraris, four hundred six; and Mercedes closing the gap. Uh, well, they didn't today. They, uh, the gap widened because they got some uh, fewer points, didn't they? But they're on three seven, three seven one. So, look, there are other storylines there, but I think like that we've covered off the big stuff today. Am I, uh, am I missing anything, guys? You feel strongly about talking about anyone that we haven't shone the spotlight on yet? Okay, to move on, good. Because I mean, we could spend all night talking about each individual driver, but I think we're good. I think we're good. Little break now. Little mini break, if, if there's ever a break in Formula One, a small break. And as Alex mentioned, he'll be on the plane to uh, Singapore. Stunning race that we're looking forward to next as the end of the European season comes to an end. I've talked too much at the end of this podcast, fully aware of that. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Sorry, just had to get through stuff. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the Autosport podcast today. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, uh, make sure that uh, you stay tuned. Got some really good shows coming up over the little mini break that we have now, including uh, talking about how Autosport broke the news about Piash. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner three that's a podcast you can listen out for in a, a few days time thank you very much for listening and we'll be back soon mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing chumba casino this year i was only playing for fun so winning this was a dream come true chumba casino is america's number one social casino experience it's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from you too could win life-changing amounts of cash be like mary log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner the drive to go further and reach higher. The same thing that inspires you, inspires us. At Strayer University, we're always searching for new ways to make education more affordable. That's why we offer access to up to 10 no-cost gen ed courses to help you save time and money so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. No-cost gen ed's provided by Strayer University affiliates of Field Learning. Eligibility rules apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEF. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.